Well, we're going to continue on in the Gospel of Mark this morning. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 12. If you don't have a Bible, you can find Mark chapter 10 on page 845. Let's give ourselves to God's good word now. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 1. And Jesus left there and went to the region of Judea, and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Let's pray. Father, we are a people who need your word, and we're reminded from the psalmist that your law is perfect and it revives our soul. We're reminded that your testimonies are sure and they make us wise, that your precepts are right and they rejoice our hearts, that your commandments are pure and they enlighten our eyes, that your rules are true and they're righteous altogether and they're more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, that they're sweeter than honey, even the drippings of the honeycomb. And so, Father, we pray that through your good word that you would warn us, that you would teach us that in keeping your law there is great reward. We pray that you would show us our errors, We pray that you would keep us back from presumptuous sins and that sin would not have dominion over us. Father, we desire to be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And so we pray this morning, let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. So Father, we pray, instruct us now. Give us understanding. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. So Jesus' words come to us this morning, Mark chapter 10, verses 11 through 12. 
Jesus and his disciples go into the house like they have often done in the Gospel of Mark, and Jesus reveals his will to them. He says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her, and if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And so before we dive headlong into this text of divorce and remarriage, we need to set a a basic framework before us that will help guide our thinking and our use and our application of Jesus' words. So three notes before we look at the text. First note, we have to understand that divorce and remarriage is a thorny. It's a controversial issue. It was so in Jesus' day, as we will discover as we work through the text of Scripture, and it is still a thorny and controversial issue in our, our very own day. And as we consider divorce and remarriage, we all stand affected by it one way or another. Some of us sitting here have experienced these realities firsthand, while others have had parents or family members or dear friends divorce and remarry. And so due to our our lived experience, this can be a subject that we we naturally shy away from. We think about it, well, the the subject of divorce and remarriage comes up in conversation, and we're tempted to throw up the big orange detour sign and say, well, I'm not traveling down that path with you. I'm going to take the detour and go a different way. But we have to understand that this is a poor way to handle God's Word, and it's a very poor way to care for those we come into contact with. Instead, we must not fear. In fact, we must not be slow to tread where the Word of God leads us. It is a a light shining in a dark place, and our calling as Christians is to simply follow the Word of God wherever the Word of God leads us. This brings us to a second note. While some of us are tempted to shy away from this conversation, throw up the big orange detour sign, go a different way, others of us are are tempted to weaponize Jesus' words. We can pick them up and use them as a a battering ram. And while Jesus' teaching this morning directly contradicts the cultural consensus and even the, the way many of us have chosen to live our lives, we must remember the context that these words fall in. While Jesus is never afraid to expose and name sin for what it is before others, he at the same time is never reticent or reluctant to pardon or forgive, to redeem and restore sinners. The Jesus who rebukes the Pharisees is the same Jesus who who goes and he dines with sinners and tax collectors. The Jesus who calls for repentance to the crowds is the Jesus who, who draws near to the unclean leper and touches him. And so whatever we do with these words this morning, however we handle them, we have to couch them in our discussion of the broader context of the gospel. We have to couch them in the the broader context of Jesus' character and mission in the gospel. And a third note. While the Bible has much more to say on the matter of divorce and remarriage, we can just note several texts this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 9. 1 Corinthians 7, 2, 2 through 16. Parts of Romans chapter 7, Luke chapter 16, verse 18, and the surrounding context. So we see the Bible talks about it elsewhere. Our aim this morning is to go in the Gospel of Mark and keep our eyes principally on what Mark is saying to us. We want to hear what Jesus is speaking to us this morning in these verses. And so with all of this before us this morning... We can break up our time together. We can break up this sermon into roughly two parts. 
in the, the first part of this sermon for the sake of, of clear exposition, for clarity and understanding the, the passage. We're just going to walk through the passage verse by, by verse, telling the story, making comments where they're fitting. And after we make a clear exposition of the text, we're going we're to then draw out applications for ourselves. Where do Jesus' words meet us? How do they change the way we think about marriage? How do they change the way we think about life? So we can start expositing. We can start looking at Jesus' words this morning. So look at verses 1 through 3 with me. So Mark records, And Jesus left there, and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And so what we see here is something that has happened throughout the Gospel of Mark. Jesus comes into contact with the party of the Pharisees. Now, we have to understand in this particular context that these, these men, these Pharisees, did not come to Jesus innocently. They did not come because they were curious about our Lord's teaching on the matter of divorce, nor did they come because they wanted to be instructed. Rather, Mark tells us their intentions. Why did they come? Well, they came to test Jesus. And as we consider the broad context of the story, we remember that these men have, have set themselves against Jesus and his ministry. We can go back to chapter 3, and after Jesus heals the man with, the, with the, the stiff hand that doesn't work, what did these men begin to do? Well, they, they left and began to plot Jesus' death. Or later in chapter 3, these, these men have, have witnessed Jesus' power over demons and unclean spirits, and they're offended by what Jesus is doing. They're concerned that Jesus is drawing away the crowds, and so they, they begin a smear campaign against Jesus. They're saying, he's possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. And so as we look at this event, we have to understand that at the time, at this time within Israel, there was a, a broad cultural consensus on the matter of divorce. One could divorce his wife, a man could divorce his wife, and there was no question to this fact. It was not disputed. But what the Pharisees were angling for in their question to Jesus was something more specific. Their question is more like this. They're asking, Jesus, what are the legal grounds for divorce and remarriage? Now, the Pharisees held to a very liberal understanding of divorce. You go back and you read the source text, you find this. One of their scholars taught, A husband may divorce his wife even if she spoiled a dish for him. Or, a husband may divorce his wife if he found another fair than she. Another rabbi explains, if she does not accept your control, divorce her and send her away. A famous Jewish historian that you might have heard of, Josephus, who shortly lived after Jesus, wrote this, at this time I divorced my wife, not liking her behavior. And Josephus likely belonged to the party of the Pharisees. So this leads us to a question. So if the Pharisees already had a particular view on divorce, one very similar to that of our own laws in our own day, entrenched and cemented in their own minds, why did they come to Jesus asking about this matter? Well, again, we can answer. The answer is simple. Well, they, they're coming to trip Jesus up. And so we can see a two-pronged attack against Jesus in their question. 
First, we need to remember the story of, of John the Baptist. Why was John the baptizer imprisoned, and why was he ultimately beheaded? Well, the answer is that John spoke out against Herod's marital unfaithfulness. So here's the Pharisees. They're thinking, well, perhaps if we could just bait Jesus into speaking about marriage and divorce, Jesus will ignite the wrath of Herod, and he will meet a similar fate to that of John. He might just lose his head if he speaks unguarded for a while. Second, the Pharisees were looking to turn the crowds away from Jesus. They're concerned that Jesus was leading the masses of Israel astray. So here's the Pharisees, and perhaps they're thinking in the back of their minds, if we could just get Jesus to speak about marriage and divorce, he, would, he could commit a cultural faux pas, and perhaps he'd step on the cultural toes and ignite the wrath of the crowds. Perhaps if Jesus just spoke unguarded for a moment about what he truly believed, the crowds would finally blacklist him and turn him away and see him as a radical as he truly is. And so here's the trap set before Jesus. What is Jesus going to do with this question? And what Jesus does, if you're familiar with the Gospels, is he answers their question with a question. He says to them, what did Moses command you? And the Pharisees quickly respond by, by loosely quoting from an Old, passage, Old Testament passage, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. And they, they summarize it like this in verse 4. Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Now, the Pharisees' answer is to be expected. In their theological schools, and their, their rigorous training, in their books, this was the standard answer to the question of marriage and divorce. This was the text that would be expounded. This would be the text that would set the course of conversation. But what happens next is unexpected. Jesus is disturbed by their answer. And when we look at Jesus' words, we can even sense a, a tinge of anger as Jesus hears what they say and as he responds to them. So look at Jesus' words in verses 5 through 9. Jesus says to these men, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And so what we find in Jesus' unexpected response is that the Pharisees have made two critical errors in their reading and interpretation and application of God's law. And so the first error is found in this. The Pharisees misunderstood and they misapplied Deuteronomy chapter 24 verses 1 through 4. The Pharisees read this Old Testament text as legitimizing, even more, they read it as sanctioning the practice of divorce within the land of Israel. They read it as a text that gave rights to husbands, even more, they read it as a command in some cases that obligated husbands to put away their wife for unseemly things. So you go back to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1 reads this. When a, man, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes and he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. So what's going on here? Well, there's a problem here. 
there's a problem with building a theology of divorce and remarriage from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. And it becomes apparent when you give a close reading to the text. Because when you read the, close, the text slowly and closely, what you find is that Moses does not establish the right to divorce, nor does he command divorce or even commend divorce. Rather, what's going on in Deuteronomy chapter 24? Well, Moses is regulating the practice of divorce that's already taking place within the land of Israel. Moses is is looking out at the people of God. He sees them. They're they're doing this this cultural practice. Men are divorcing their wives, and he sees this practice running amok. And so Moses seeks to curb and control the flagrant and offensive abuses of it. And so Moses' concern comes out clearly in Deuteronomy 24, verse 4. What is this section of Scripture all about? Well, Moses concludes it, and this is his point. He says, Then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. So what is Moses talking about in Deuteronomy chapter 24? Well, he's not sanctioning divorce. Rather, he is saying, A divorced woman, after marrying another man, may not return to her first husbands. And what the Lord Jesus does in his response to the Pharisees is that he brings out this point of exposition and he brings it up to the surface how they've misunderstood the law of God. And he scolds the Pharisees. He says to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses wrote you this commandment. Jesus is preaching to this effect. Moses wrote you this stipulation about divorce in the law of God, not because divorce is good or to be desired or should be tolerated, Rather, he wrote you this law because your forefathers were so sin-sick and hardened towards the will of God that their sinful practice needed to be regulated. Laws had to be put in place so that vulnerable women would not be egregiously harmed and abused by men who would put them away and take them back and put them away and take them back. Laws had to be written because the people of God had so abandoned the will of God for marriage. Even more, Jesus is getting very polemical here. He looks right at the Pharisees and he points out the very issues of their hearts. What plagued their sin-sick fathers in the wilderness as they wandered is the same sin-sick heart that causes these these same men, these, these scholars, these knowers of God's law to reject Jesus and the good word of the gospel. They too are hardened against God and his will and it's evidenced in how they, they pursue marriage and treat marriage. As we continue to probe Jesus' words, we find a second critical error. Namely this, that these men built their theology of divorce and remarriage from the wrong texts of Scripture. These men were arguing and debating and preaching and moralizing from the wrong passages. So in in verses 6 through 8, Jesus comes along and he points us away from Moses' legislation to harden and rebellious Israel to God's revealed will in the creation account. So Jesus says this, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And what we find Jesus doing here in verses 6 through 8 is he's building up a proper theology of marriage and divorce from God's intentions revealed in the creation account. So Jesus goes back and he quotes Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says this. 
God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So Jesus is saying on the sixth day of creation, God created humanity. And he did it. He created humanity in two different sexes that complement each other, male and female. And God did this, made humanity with two sexes, male and female, for a distinct purpose. And Jesus makes this purpose clear by quoting Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Jesus says, or quoting the Old Testament, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So Jesus clearly teaches that the marriage, marriage is a bond between one man, one woman. Now, as we think about what Jesus is doing here, these quotations from the book of Genesis are quite elementary. And as we think about the situation of the Pharisees, the Pharisees would not have been surprised about these texts that Jesus quoted. These were learned men of the Scriptures. Yes, they would have said, marriage is a bond between a man and a woman. We don't, we don't misunderstand that. We get that. But it's here from these elementary texts in the book of Genesis that Jesus draws out something that the Pharisees missed and something that we're prone to miss as well. Jesus states the clear and direct implication of verses 8 and 9. He says this, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. What does this mean in light of Genesis? Well, contrary to the thinking of the Pharisees, marriage is not a social contract drawn up by two consenting parties that can be broken whenever the man finds a reason, whether that be his wife's cooking, or he found a better-looking woman than his current wife, or that he's simply fallen out of love. Rather, when a man and a woman come together in marriage, God, and that's where our emphasis must lie, God, uniquely bonds and joins a man and woman together. Jesus says to us, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Something happens in marriage. In marriage, no longer are there two separate entities, no longer are there two separate individuals, but God makes one flesh. And therefore, therefore, man is not to undo or break or rend asunder God's good work in marriage. And so with this theology in place, we're in a position to just see how egregious divorce actually is. And we can do a little bit of theologizing this morning. Divorce is not just a societal ill or a cause for mourning, nor is it a breakdown of human relationships, but is actually the destruction of God's good work in the creation of a marriage bond. What the Pharisees were guilty of was the desecration of God's creative work. In their instruction and in their moralizing, they were directly campaigning and desecrating the will of God. So Jesus' words here in chapter 10 surely irritated the Pharisees. But at the same time, Jesus' words also stunned the 12 disciples. Here are Jesus' men, and they're they're listening to Jesus' conversation back and forth with the Pharisees. And we have to understand this. Jesus' men, these 12 disciples, were raised with and lived by the standards of the Pharisees. In Matthew's recounting of this same scene, the disciples respond in amazement. What do they say to Jesus when they hear Jesus' words? Well, they respond saying, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. 
They hear Jesus' words and the weight of it falls on them and they reply to Jesus, I wish I would have never got married then. And like so many times in the Gospel of Mark, the disciples cannot grasp the fullness of what Jesus is talking about. So in verse 10, the disciples asked Jesus to clarify what he announced to the Pharisees. And in verses 11 and 12, Jesus explains with with clarity the ramifications of divorce and remarriage in the sight of God. Jesus says, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now we have to follow Jesus' logic here. We can say this, divorce is a no-go in God's economy. We get that from earlier in the text. Let not man separate what God has joined together. But Jesus goes on to say that remarriage after divorce is considered to be adultery. And we have to ask, well, how is this working in Jesus' mind? What is the logic that, that leads Jesus to make this kind of pronouncement? Well, Jesus teaches that remarriage is an act of adultery, Because the illegitimate divorce does not actually break that marriage bond. While the man might write a certificate of divorce and send his wife away, she is yet his wife in the eyes of God and by virtue of their one flesh unity. And therefore, any subsequent remarriage and sexual relations are deemed adulterous in the sight of God. And again, Jesus' words expose the egregious reality of what divorce and remarriage consist of. Again, we can do a work of of theology. Contrary to public opinion, both in Jesus' day and our own, remarriage after an illegitimate divorce is not simply moving on with your life, nor is it kindling new love in your life, nor is it a basic human right. But according to the Lord Jesus Christ, it is a transgression of the law of God. The seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. And so we've worked through the text And the text is before us. We've explained it. Now we have to turn our attention toward the issue of application. So if we've seen throughout our time in the Gospel of Mark, we have come to realize that the coming of the kingdom of God brings radical reorientation to our lives. Just think about it. The kingdom of God reorients our view of status. Jesus preaches. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. It reorients our our view of gain. Jesus preaches to us, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It reorients our view of family. Jesus preaches, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And so it should be no surprise that the coming of the kingdom of God radically reorients our vision and practice of marriage. And what we see in our passage is that Jesus will no longer make concessions to the hardness of man's heart. He will no longer deal with legislation that that tolerates rebellion. Jesus, the authoritative son of man, who has authority on earth to forgive sins and authority over the Sabbath, now abrogates Deuteronomy chapter 24 verses 1 through 4, and he establishes the righteous rule of God. And what Jesus does this morning in this text is he holds out to us the will of God unfiltered. This is the will of God for your life. And in a very real sense, we begin to feel the weight of Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus preaches. He says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fill them up. 
For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass, not an iota nor a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And here's the clincher. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus isn't speaking in hyperbole in the Sermon on the Mount. We see the the standard of righteousness of the Pharisees, and and Jesus' disciples must exceed that standard. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And in short, our marriages must look dramatically different than the Pharisees and our surrounding culture if we truly belong to the kingdom of God. So we have need to apply Jesus' words to the many different situations that we find ourselves in. And what Jesus gives us this morning in Mark chapter 10 is a general principle for divorce and remarriage. We can state the general principle very simply. Divorce and remarriage are not an option to be considered or practiced for the Christian. Now, before we apply this general principle to ourselves, we have to, we have to reckon that this work of application is very tricky, intensely tricky. For the human situation is a web of complexities. We are a people who sin against others. And we are a people who have been sinned against by others. And especially so when we consider the marriage relationship, how much sin goes back and forth. And so in light of this complex reality, we have to key in on one idea, and it's the idea of what is a general principle. Well, a general principle leads the way in most cases and should reign supreme in most cases. But if we search out the scriptures this morning, if we look back to those texts that I I stated this morning, we find out that Jesus himself, the Apostle Paul, gives exceptions to the general principle in extreme cases. So if you search out your Bibles, you find that there are exceptions in the case of sexual immorality or abuse or desertion. And the scriptures teach that under these circumstances of unique duress, the marriage bond may may indeed be terminated, and remarriage may, may indeed be a, a legitimate option to pursue. So operating out of this understanding of what a general principle is and what a general principle exists for, we can ask, well, what does this general principle mean for our lives? How does this general principle change the way I live and operate in the kingdom of God in light of Jesus' coming? And so we can find ourselves in many different situations, but I want to address four situations you might find yourself in this morning. First, I want to address those who are are single and have never been married. And perhaps this morning you find yourself quite content in your singleness. If another a man or a woman came along and something happened, you would you'd be quite joyful with that prospect. Or perhaps you're on the other side of the spectrum this morning. You, you long to be married. You dream of marriage. Or you're actively preparing and working towards marriage. You have a significant other. You might be engaged. You might be thinking about engagement. Well, what does the Lord Jesus Christ say to you in light of this text? Well, Jesus' words clearly lay out the solemnity of the marriage bond. Jesus says to you, What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. What Jesus is doing this morning is he's speaking of the marriage bond with weight. And he's pointing us towards the permanence of the marriage bond. He wants us to feel it's an enduring effect. And so as you live in your singleness, 
as you dream about marriage, as you date or court or whatever language you might prefer, you must let Jesus' solemn words guide the way. Jesus' words should dictate how we approach marriage, how we approach the opposite sex, how we approach dating or courting or whatever we call it, how we assess our own fitness for marriage and how we assess others' fitness for marriage as a candidate for marriage. Jesus preaches to us, do not consider the marriage bond lightly. Do not make decisions hastily, but let your thoughts and your actions and your decisions be deliberate and clear and decisive. Second, a word to those who are, are married. Jesus' words set a, a definite border for our marriage relationships. Divorce is not a legitimate option to deal with the offenses and the grievances and the misunderstandings and even the many sins that often arise and make our marriages difficult. And Jesus is working this morning in this passage that we might feel the profound weight of the marriage bond. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And as we think about it, Jesus' preaching cannot get any more simple or straightforward. Jesus says to us, keep your vows. Come through on your promises. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Remember what you vowed to your wife. Remember what you vowed to your husband on your wedding day. To death do we part. Even more, Jesus' words reveal the attitude that we are to operate within our marriages. If, if marriage is such a treasured institution in the sight of God, if it was precious enough for Jesus to speak about it, if, if God puts his creative energy into it, bonding a man and woman together into one flesh, we must accordingly treasure the marriage bond ourselves. And how do we treasure the marriage bond? Well, we treasure it by obeying the commands about marriage that we find in the New Testament. The New Testament commands us, husbands, love your Wives, as Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Husbands, love your, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. We must not only keep our word, but we must treasure what God has done among us. Third, a word to those who are divorced and now find themselves single. And note here that I'm, I'm speaking according to the general principle of Jesus' teaching, not the exceptional circumstances of sexual immorality or desertion or abuse and what might be lawful, holy in these circumstances according to the Scriptures. What does Jesus have to say to you? Well, we go to verses 11 and 12. Jesus instructs us. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So we just need to follow Jesus' logic again. An unlawful divorce followed by an unlawful marriage results in an unlawful deed, an act of adultery. And following this progression of action, this, this leads one to break the seventh commandment. Therefore, the call of Jesus this morning to the single divorced person is to remain in their singleness or to be reconciled to their spouse. Now, as we think about this stark command. Jesus' call pushes hard against the orthodoxy that our culture preaches to us. We live in a day, as you think about it, where we are called to follow our hearts no matter where they take us. A day we are called to find and do what will make us happy and, and feel fulfilled. 
But Jesus, throughout the Gospel of Mark, pulls us out of this haze of self-worship, and he bids us again and again. This is what the Gospel call is all about. Whatever issue we're thinking about, Jesus preaches this message. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. A single divorced person must reckon that obedience to Jesus is better than any earthly fellowship. Obedience to Jesus is better than any conjugal relationship. Obedience to Jesus is better than all else. Lastly, a word to those who are divorced and now remarried. And again, for the sake of clarity, I want to be clear. I'm speaking according to Jesus' general principle and not to the exceptional circumstances due to the duress of sexual immorality, desertion, or abuse and what might be lawful and holy in those circumstances according to the Scriptures. And when we follow the logic of Jesus this morning, there is no getting around it. If you've participated in an unlawful divorce and then participated in an unlawful marriage, you have done an unlawful act. You have violated the seventh commandment. And so we can say, if you've done this, well, you've sinned against God and you've sinned against your former spouse. The question then becomes, well, what are you to do in your current situation? How are you to live? Well, the answer is to be found in this. Jesus would have you confess your sins and and come to him for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Divorce, remarriage are not the unforgivable sin. The truth of 1 John 1, 9 is, is gloriously true. Jesus says, or John says, speaking of the promises of the gospel, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Jesus would desire you this morning to to walk in repentance, making any restitution that remains undone. Even more, Jesus desires, we have to be clear about this, that you treasure and remain faithful to your current spouse, keeping your word to him or her, living in light of the commands of marriage, loving your wife, obeying your husband. Even more importantly, there is the question of what you are to feel about yourself in your current estate. We have to get this deep down into our bones. There is no such thing as as second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. All those who occupy the kingdom of heaven are those who have come to Jesus full of sins. Some being tax collectors who have, have stolen money from others. Some prostitutes who have sold their bodies. All of those who follow Jesus rely solely upon his mercy and grace. And in your estate, you stand no differently from any other sinner who has come to Jesus to be washed by his perfect cleansing blood. There are no second class citizens in the kingdom of God. So brothers and sisters, what we find this morning is that Jesus has revealed the will of God to us. And it is a good word. We started this morning by praying through Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is good. It's to be desired more than gold. It's sweeter than honey. And I hope you find it this way this morning. And the call of the gospel this morning is to take up the good word of Jesus, to respond to it in faith and repentance, and walk according to it, honoring and keeping the good commandment of our Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do rejoice in your law. It is good. We need it. We need instruction. We need to be taught in the way that we should go. We need to be warned. 
We need to be shown our sins. Father, we ask now that you would give us renewed faith and renewed repentance that we might walk before you. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.